listening to Loving the Snow Life with Emma and Tanil. Tanil, our mum, and Emma, her awesome friend, share deep passion for the snow. They started the podcast together to share all their experiences with you. Between them, they have skied over 95 resorts, both held ski instructor qualifications, lived and worked in resorts, and still spent every hard-earned dollar skiing. They set their lives up around snow travel, and our ski bags are always packed, ready to go. We're certainly not complaining about this, are we? No way. And even better, we get to share all the experiences. Sean Fleming is the Alpine Director at Snow Australia and the Olympic Winter Institute Australia Head Coach. He discusses the coaching situation in Australia, his Canadian upbringing, his impressions of Australia after emigrating, and how he manages emerging talent. Hi, Sean. How are you going? Yeah, great. So, Sean, welcome today to Loving the Snow Life podcast. We are very, very excited to have you. Um, You are the Alpine Director of our Winter Snow Sports in Australia, which is a huge role. Tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, so I, I, I guess officially it's been a year and a half now. Um, formerly was a, a Mick branch, and and really my role is is across across the whole country. Obviously, really the the, the five big clubs um, across the main resorts, um, and and from really getting kids interested in alpine from grassroots through interschools, and then all the way through um, the pathway. Um, ultimately hopefully to to athletes performing at, at world cup internationally and, and world championships and olympic games wow Amazing. and what about your background how did you get into your role very very un un uh, un uninteresting i guess would, would would be the thing i grew up in canada um i actually grew up on the on the east coast right on the atlantic ocean um in a small city called halifax mm-hmm. and 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 skiing for me really probably came in at about year six um, and, and was through school sport. Um, we'd do, a, you know, maybe two trips a, a month to the to the local ski hill that was an hour away. And, and really, I guess, for people that that know Parisher, you know, probably was Smiggins. Oh, um, yeah. Unheard you know, of in Canada, or, really. Or front valley. Yeah. Very like very small hills. Um and I, I started to love it. My, my parents didn't ski, um, my brother. Um, and I'd, I'd go maybe with families on some weekends, family friends. Um, and, and that really was my skiing up and through high school. Um, I Obviously, as I got a license and a little bit of freedom and my parents would lend me the car, um, I'd, I'd go on some weekends and I, I became a ski instructor. Um, in, in, I'm going to guess year 12 maybe of, of, of high school and then, and then through university. Um, and I always would look at the ski magazines and dream about going to the big, big yeah. mountains, the big ski resorts. So you went the ski instructor route, not really the ski racing. I mean, I, I thought out East, it was like small and ice. <laughs> so in Canada. You, you are you are correct you are correct and and listen ski racing was a, was a little bit um out east like in nova scotia where, where i grew up um but definitely more when you get to quebec um and places like that the hills are, are are a lot bigger um a lot icier a lot colder 
Um, and, yeah. and ski racing is definitely a mecca there. And so what happened after that, after you left high school? My third year of university, um, I was teaching and I was doing some, some coaching, like some really young kid coaching on the weekends, still out east. Um, and a friend of mine from university had taken a year off and had gone to Whistler um, and called me. Um, it would have been April, which, which is the end of our, our school year. Um, and I just finished up my exams and was like, oh, I should come out for the summer. Like, it's, it's unbelievable. And then I'd always wanted to. So I, I, I moved out for the summer and was lucky enough to get a job at the golf course um, and, and had a taste of, of, of Whistler. And, of course, then decided I, I couldn't, couldn't go back without doing a winter. Definitely. Got, I- a, got a, a job with ski school, of course. You know, you, you, you look at some of the... the 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 ski movies at the time and stuff and I was like oh they're not gonna how could you ever get a job at Whistler Blackcomb like as a ski instructor like no chance coming from where I came and with my experience um of course you you quickly realize they're they're more than happy to take take most people um it's a giant (laughs) ski school and and ended up with a ended up with a job in in kid in kids ski school for that winter and I think like a lot of people that turned into a decade, a decade and a half, probably much to my parents' disappointment initially, not going back to, to university, but I think <laughs> that they've, uh, they've, they've, they've finally gotten over it. I think they've come to terms with, with that chapter being closed. But, uh, and, and that was it. And then I did. I fell in love with it. I stayed in Whistler. And, what, and what, year, just, what year was that? What, like? 1995. Oh my gosh, I was there in 1993. <laughs> yeah, right. And did the was Otto Kamstra still the ski school director then? Otto Kamstra was the ski school director when I first started. Yeah. Yeah, he was my ski school director for a couple of years there as well. <laughs> I did yeah, the ski right. free program for a while. So yeah, I ski is free. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah, so I get the whole Whistler. Yeah, amazing. You kind of can't leave Whistler, but I did. I left it and went to Silver Star. But, you know, I, it, there was too many Australians coming in there at that time. I was like, wow, I'm going to get it out. <laughs> but, but Whistler certainly was. I remember I had to hold the Australian flag going down the Dave Murray um, GS. Like yep. there was one World yep. Cup there in 93, I think it was, and they gave me the Australian flag. And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, my gosh, this is out of control. They like watered down the course and it was and I was like mm-hmm. please, don't, please don't get out of the snake just please don't go out of you know go down <laughs> the snake and I thought I'm going to shoot off to the right because it was so icy but Whistler in the day was the racing kind of mecca wasn't it it was like where and because it was such a longer season you could kind you could coach a bit more in the uh, in April yeah exactly and I, I mean just you know it's 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 sheer size the the, the variety of 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 skiing, you know, that, that Whistler and Blackcomb have, you know, I guess 95, my first year. And when you would have been there 95, it was still separate. You know, it was still, you were Whistler or you were Blackcomb, you know, which was Coke or Pepsi, Um, you know, and then I I think 96 or 97, obviously they joined, but yeah, it was, especially from coming from what I knew out East, you know, it was just a, such a bizarre experience and it was you know so humbling at first you know coming out thinking you're a pretty good skier from a small little hill and all of a sudden you get out there and realize there's a <laughs> a lot of re- a lot of really good skiers um, yeah yeah and uh, yeah good times good times actually at Dusty's down at uh 
Whistler. Cassies and Creekside, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Creekside, yeah. Um, so is that where you met some Australian connections to kind of come into the Australian world of skiing? Or I did, I did. So very shortly into being there and, and that first winter working in ski school, um, one of the first guys I met who really, you know, became my best friend in Whistler was from Edmonton. Um, but he, we, through, through working in ski school, he ended up meeting an Australian girl um, and they started dating as, as it is. And I actually came down, they got married in 2000 at Freshie on the Northern beaches. Nice. And I came, I came down for the wedding. It was in October and it would have been right after, I guess, the Sydney Olympics. And I had never really traveled. Um, you know, I'd been to the, to the States and stuff, but I'd never obviously been to Australia. And I came down just for a month. Um, and obviously, I mean, Northern Beaches and, and Sydney, I was like, wow, this is, this is pretty cool. But, you know, it was like Whistler, you know, that's, that's it. That's, that's where I am. And, and I had a lot of Aussie friends that obviously came back here for seasons. Um, and, and some of my Canadian friends as, as well would, would come down and then like so many things, I guess, in Whistler, you can appreciate it. It, it, it really probably started as a joke in a bar one night um, with a couple of my Australian friends and, and one guy, um, Matt Moore, um, who used to run ski school up at Blue Cow yep. and stuff here, Parisher. And, and they were just kind of hitting me up. It was the end of the season in, in, in Whistler. And, you know, why, why wouldn't you come down? You should come down. And I was like, no, like, come on. Like, I mean, summers in Whistler are just as good, if not better than winters, you know, it's so beautiful. There's so much outdoor activity and no. And a couple years later, or, or, or maybe a few more than that, um, I went home and I got online and you could do your, whatever it was back then, like that traveler visa yeah. for Australia, like a work experience visa, and it was all online and I clicked and clicked and filled out a bunch of things and went to bed that night and I woke up in the morning and in my inbox was a granted visa wow. for That's Australia great. and I was I, yeah it, it was and I was you know obviously it was pre uh yeah, yeah pre all of the 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 the, the security and all of that and and I kind of was like well Wow. Okay. I, I guess I've got to do this. And about a week later, I bought a plane ticket and, and came down and I knew nothing. I knew nothing. My best friend had worked here. The one that got married in, in, in Freshie, he had worked down here. He kind of tried to explain it to me. And I, I sort of had these pictures in my head of what I thought it would be, but he's talking about a ski tube and this and that. I'm like, I don't, I don't know what you're <laughs> talking about. And like, you know, people are calling saying, would you, would you be okay? to work at Smiggin Holes. I know we had said Blue Cow. And I'm like, I don't have, I don't know what you, I'll work anywhere. That's you know. hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> Blue Cow and a hole. Yeah. I'm willing to work anywhere yeah. for $8 an hour. Bring it like. yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what though, coming from Canada, it was actually like doubling my pay. Uh, um, oh when, yeah, when of the course. dollar with Canada oh. was good. Yeah, it was it was I saw it almost as a bit of a gold mine coming. And and so, yeah, but I had no idea, no idea at all what to expect, really. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, I, I knew that, that the weather was 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 challenging. And, and obviously, the mountains weren't like Whistler Blackcomb. But, you know, having grown up on the east, I think, and then also having had so much time in Whistler Blackcomb, where 
again, I mean, it rains a lot in Whistler too. Yeah, I was going to um, say, barely so, some weather. <laughs> it doesn't yeah, come yeah. sideways and it's cold. <clears throat> it's raining a lot. You do you, when they handed you your ski school uniform and they gave you a raincoat. You go, wow, what's this going to be? <laughs> I think back in the day that no, I, I mean, raincoats. <laughs> yeah, we we used raincoats obviously in Whistler as, as as well. I think the bigger one here was when mm-hmm. someone showed me the big blue rubber gloves. Oh yes, <laughs> like washing up gloves, and I was like, what is that? I was like, I've got like four nice pair of leather gloves. Like what? Are, and they're like, trust me. You're gonna need these, and for sure, within a month, I was out to the store buying a pair of big blue rubber gloves, and was like, "These, these are like the most priceless thing that you can you, you can have." Because the Australians love to send their kids in any type of weather. It's like, yeah, I'm just gonna be in the bar, kids. You go out for your hour and a half lesson, you'll be fine. <laughs> well, listen, in that in in that first season, and and I, I was I was working out of, of Smigs. And, you know, you would just be like, wow, no one will show up today. Like, how could they? Like, it's 80K wind, it's sideways, it's rain, that's one degree Celsius. Like, there's just no way. And sure enough, one guy from your weekly class would rock out there from like Queensland, just so tough and like so loving the experience and just be like, yeah, like, this is so awesome. And I'd just be like, wow. Okay, let's go. And you know, you're out there. So that's but, so funny. Yeah. That's so true. People are I get people I guess, are, are, are are resilient. Yeah. <laughs> well, we do pay a lot of money to get from Queensland down there, I guess. But yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> so I guess that kind of leads itself into the 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 kids that are coming through the programs too. They're pretty resilient, aren't they? Or the ones that aren't kind of leave. <laughs> yeah. And I listen, I think I think that you find that anywhere. I think that. I think that, you know, skiing in Australia, there's a lot of, there's a lot of hurdles, you know, even for the, for the child level, you know, parents with costs and things like that. But, you know, for the vast majority of kids, if you're coming from Sydney, you know, it's five hours, five and a half hours, you, you eat your whole weekend or your whole school holidays. Mm. Um, yeah. You know, and, and, and then obviously we have the, the weather. Um, so you have to love it you know if you don't if you don't it it, it will last for a while and you know mom and dad could pressure or or whatever but you see pretty quick yeah you know if if you love it they just could care less they don't care what the weather's like they don't care what the snow conditions are like they're just so happy and stoked to be here and out on the snow and 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 that's it um and and listen that's i i think i think for any sport or anything you know it, it really is true. Like if you don't love it, there will become a time when, when things get hard, mm-hmm. um, which they always eventually will get hard at some point in your, in your journey that if, if that love's not there underlying everything, then it gets pretty hard to continue. Mm. So how many seasons did you do back to back in Australia? Like I go back to, did you always go back to Whistler or you tried different ski resorts anywhere yep. else? No, always back to Whistler. So I, I, I always say, 2002 was my last summer. Um, 2003 was my first Aussie winter. And then I bought ever, ever since. Mm-hmm. However, in the last probably two to three years, really when I'm done, uh, when I'm done with, with the World Cup season, with, with, with Ski Cross with Australia, I, uh, I tend now to come straight back to Jindabyne and really 
base myself as an Australian with gin divine as my home. And, you know, maybe I'll I do a trip to Whistler for a couple. I, I, I am, I am definitely seeking out warmer weather and, 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 and breaks um, from winter more. So yeah. how did you get from, from the instructing at Smiggins to your position now? Did you have to just do your mileage or did you have to do lots of study on the side or a bit of everything? Yeah, I, 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 th- I think it's both. I mean, I, I think experience in, in this industry, I guess, guided experience, that's worth its weight in gold. And that's that's really where the where the learning is 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 done. You can't read the books or or, or do whatever. Um, it's done on snow. So, you know, in in Whistler, I was doing a, a ton of different things. And then as I got more experience, as we moved into the late '90s, early 2000s, I was working within ski school as a trainer, um, and so training training up instructors, um, doing some training, and then I was also coaching. Um, and it was brand new at the time. It was called the Whistler Freeride Club. And, and it was a big mountain off-piste club with, with local athletes um, and, and also had a park and pipe component in it. And so, you know, when the skiing was really, really not good, um, we'd, we'd focus a bit more in the park. Yeah. Um, and, and then obviously, for the most part, we were out and skiing big mountain. And it was really around that time where, were big mountain competitions throughout the kind of west coast of North America, British Columbia, and, and down through Washington and California, were starting to take off. And there, there were these teenage kind of age categories and, and started working with, with, with them for oh, eight or nine years. At the same time, coming to Australia, at the same time down here, cutting my teeth and doing a lot more in the alpine ski racing side of it, um, which you know, e- e- even from a, a selfish perspective of, of keeping things fun for me professionally, having that switch of not just getting stuck in the same box and doing the same style of coaching or, or same thing year round, you know, obviously Whistler, I mean, off-piste, big mountain, that's a Mecca, yeah. you know, <laughs> not so easy to do here. Um, but then given the more limited size and vertical of, of skiing in Australia, you know, Alpine was a great fit. It was really interesting. Um, and, 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 and really went through that. So I started at Parachute Winter Sports Club coaching Alpine in 04. And through that time when I was back in Canada, continually doing more certification, um, and, and through there, but like I said, um, you know, the certification is a, a step, a process that we all go through. And obviously, you know, helps to get you a pay raise, which is always nice. But, um, but really, really the learning is just, you know, surrounding yourself with other coaches that you look up to that, that you think are experienced and, and like so much of learning, you know, stealing the, the little tidbits from everyone around you and slowly yeah. making it your own and, and coming up with really with coming up with your own idea of, of what skiing is and, and, you know, trying to pass that on. So, did you get certified in both CSIA and APSI or did you feel like you just like CSIA was kind of level three race coach or you just didn't have to when you're in Australia anymore? You're at Because it does take up a lot of time if you are in that race coach mode. Like you've got to dedicate a lot of that time to training. So I guess to kind of pass. And so did you- No. So, I mean, obviously I'd started with CSIA 
which is Canadian Ski Instructors Alliance. Um, and then through that, that, those initial periods in, in Whistler, actually, no, before I went to Whistler in 95, I had already done my level one CSCF, which is Canadian Ski Coach Federation. And, and then through my time in Whistler was, was, was moving on through both, both of them. When I came down here, yeah, I mean, obviously they recognize Canadian certification down here when I was working for the ski school uh, or, or for, for, and for coaching at Winter Sports Club here. So there was never a great need. And as, as you know, I mean, APSI or the Canadian system or any of the systems, it's, it's a hard one of it takes your personal time, you know, mm-hmm. training for those exams. Um, it takes time to do the exams, which is time that you're not at work, which means you're not getting paid. Uh, and then you're paying for the courses and for the exams. So the idea of doing both was like, ah, you're just spending money that maybe I don't need to, and it wouldn't affect yeah. your, your pay or, <laughs> or whatever. However, I, I was through, through the 2000s when I was here and at Smiggins and, and stuff, I, I definitely like would, would read through APSI literature. I'd talk a lot with, with APSI examiners and, and ski instructors that, that I knew that, that were here, Richard Jameson and some guys like that, just, just to understand the system. Um, yeah. You know, there's little, little differences in terminology between here and Canada because I was doing some in-house training for parisher yep. for people that were training to do their level one or their level two. And obviously I wanted to make sure that the information that I was giving them and especially the, teaching methodology or, or the language um, was Australian and, and, and not Canadian because mm-hmm. it, it would be terrible to, to work with somebody and then they go to the exam and they're like, yeah, I used all these terms and APSI <laughs> didn't like them. Yeah, actually <laughs> words like fanny and Canadian fanny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> would, you, would you say on, on that note of sort of Australian and Canadian standards, would you say Australians are right now on par standard-wise with the instructing uh, with the Canadian standard or have we got a bit to go? Have we caught up? Yeah, look, I, I, I think Australia is very strong in, in, in skiing and, and ski teaching. I mean, yeah. listen, it, it's one of these things when you work in the industry and you're involved in it, there is endless debate and it will never, ever cease of whose methodology is better or right, the Austrians, the Canadians, the Japanese, the you know Americans, Australians. It it is what it is. But uh, you know, in in terms of the quality of skiing, um, the quality of teaching down here in Australia, I think it's as strong as, as as high as anywhere. And and you know, there's a lot of people within the APSI, obviously, that also work overseas. That you know. Are, are in America and understand the PSIA system or in, in Canada and CSIA um, people like Paul Lorenz right now and, and Riley McGlashan do a huge amount on YouTube um, and are really reaching out and, and, and kind of tapping into a market there um, with, with their skiing. And, and it's, it's, you know, it's very exciting and dynamic. Um, so. How do you you no, talked about the top five in your introduction, top five clubs for the kids to get into. Um, yeah, well, the main five clubs, I guess, which would be the main five resorts. Oh, for, um, oh five resorts. Okay, ready. I got that. Okay, mm. so, so, so Perisher, Perisher, Threadbow, 
falls. And then Fairfield the Threadboat, Falls, Hotham and, and Mount Bullock. So how how are our coaches going within those clubs? Because obviously you've got to, do you oversee the coaches within those clubs or have, are you involved in that? I, I, I am very involved in that. That is, is the bulk of my work that I've been trying to tick off this week, in fact. And <laughs> obviously the pandemic, um, the closing of the borders um, has had a significant effect on coaching and instructing in, in this country, but, but, but from obviously a, a coaching side, which is the side that I'm employed to, to really worry about and, and, and to manage is, we've been very reliant for a long time. And I will pretend that I'm Australian at this point um, on foreigners coming in um, to, to coach. And, and there really is quite a lack of Australian coaches, Um, you you know, so it was a big thing last year when, when the the borders started to close, when it looked like the seasons were going to go off at all of the resorts and all of a sudden, Mm-hmm. you know, these ski clubs are scrambling going, wow, like we've got nobody or, mm-hmm. you know, I've got one or two, what are we going to do? Um, you know, obviously in Victoria, the ski season was a, a lot shorter yeah. than, Shot. than up here, but even TSRC last year, Threadbow Ski Racing Club didn't get off the ground. Um, so it was really only Parish or Winter Sports Club um, in, in New South Wales and Mount Buller was able to do a little bit um, at, at the Buller Race, Race Club. Um, and, and so it's a hot topic and we've spent a lot of, of time now with trying to engage with Australians in the industry and ski instructors and how can we start to upskill them. Um, we had actually started pre-pandemic um, <laughs> mm-hmm. with creating a level one coaching certification in Australia really? um, okay. that was, was really designed around just, just creating interest. Um, just getting some Australians interested and in their foot into the door, you know, very, very low level, um, you know, based around a lot, just around interschools. Obviously, that's a big driver in a lot of the resorts. Um, and j- just just starting to open up people's eyes to, to that coaching space um, and, and bring them in. And then obviously, when the pandemic hit, um, you know, it became it became a lot more, more, I guess, pertinent. And, and so that's, that's ongoing. We, we, we have it up and live. It's, it's, it's one component is online through a bunch of modules and tutorials that, that we designed within snow Australia. Um, and then there's, there's some add-ons through the AIS and sport Australia with play by the rules and, 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 integrity Australia that deals with like doping and, and things like that child safe sport. Mm-hmm. Um, and we will actually, in the coming weeks, start working with the APSI and, and, and with some of their staff that, that examine um, to roll out the on-snow components this year that is really that exciting. level one. You know, when I went through all my ski instructors stuff back in the day, we the process was you had to do your level one, your level one race coach, your level two instructors, your level two race coach, your level three, you know. So it was like, so by the time we got to our level three, we'd already had to do two level two race coach. So we were already kind of entrenched in that world, in the race coaching world, which was kind of fun because getting back to Australia, setting gates, you know, was half half your lesson sometimes. It was like, okay, we've run out of terrain. Let's set some gates. 
And I'm not sure how many instructors know how to set gates now in Australia or, you know, kind of even anywhere, really, because that kind of model changed. So that would be exciting to bring that back because we do do so well in Australia at, at you know, World Cup level and be on the limited terrain that we have. I know that we go over to the Northern Hemisphere, but I think, you know, that's really exciting to hear that. And for that pathway for other younger instructors coming through, it might keep them in the game a little bit longer. Yeah, and, and and that's another big piece of the puzzle, which is, and, I, and I'm sure on the the APSI side of it, it's no different within within the ski schools with instructors. Is is you know how do we engage with keeping people in the industry? Yeah. And and it's not it's not a two year three year you know gap years nineteen to twenty two just go to Jindy party and off I go back to the the real world you know where you know, my parents thought I was going back to. <laughs> um, yeah. and, 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 and so it's, it's, it's something that we address um, mm. all of the time. And, and obviously, culturally, in Australia, but even in North America, you know, it's, it's not necessarily seen or treated as a profession, you know, where when you, when you do go to Switzerland and France and Austria and places like that, like you meet ski instructors and they make a good living and, and, and they can do it. For, for their entire lives as that's, that's, that's my job. That's my profession. Um, mm. You know, uh, again, any, any opportunity that we can give for, for these, these people that are interested to get them in the door. Um, mm. And, and then beyond that level, beyond that level one, which is now being unrolled and, and, and hopefully we start to bring people in. Um, <clears throat> we've also joined and, and made a partnership um, for Alpine. Um, with USSA, um, which is the coaching body in the United States. Yep. Um, and we will be following then through their system, USSA 100, 200, 300, um, joining with them and, and being able to run their courses, their certification in Australia yep. with Australian coaches, um, who are recognized by USSA to, to, to be the examiners and to, to put on the, the courses so we can do it all in-house down here. Um, that is awesome. And so for those, for those people that are, are get the bug, want to get more involved in coaching, get more education, more experience, we can do that. And, and really the, the silver lining for me there is obviously, it's, you know, USSA is a huge organization. It has a lot of resources behind it to develop educational material. Um, but also it's internationally recognized. And, and, and so going through that pathway professionally as a coach means, again, when the borders are back open, if you do end up over in Canada or the US and you're working over there, well, you can say, hey, I have this coaching certification. And right away, it's it's mm-hmm. recognized. They know what it is. It carries weight internationally yeah. and, and you know, really kind of help help you have if you're doing back-to-back winters Mm. that is really really amazing because you know how many kids do we come to inner schools from australia it's massive massive so if we can get the coaches in australia to really you know get a a quarter of those kids up to a huge standard then wow look out world so (laughs) speaking of the inter schools can you talk to us a little bit about the significance of inter schools just as you know, perspective of the pathway, is it a crucial pathway? What role does it play? 
Yeah, I, I mean, it, it is it is 100% a crucial part of, of the pathway because it really is that initial, you know, initial experience to competition on snow. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you look at the, the, the sheer numbers and I know people, always, you know, it's the biggest in the world or it's the biggest in the Southern Hemisphere, whatever. I mean, it is massive. I've, you know, I've never seen anything like it in Canada, that's for sure. But the, the numbers of kids that you have going through that, that get that experience, that, you know, represent their school and, and, and come in and, 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 and go. And the big challenge for us, uh, you know, at Snow Australia and as an organization and, and to get that education to the schools, to the parents is, all right, that's step one. Here you are. Mm-hmm. Um, now, for those that, you, that are really loving this and, and want something more than just that interschools experience <laughs> and, and, you know, coming down maybe with your school once or twice in a winter, um, you know, is starting to direct and, and be able to channel those, those, those families into formal ski clubs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if, if you're looking for that, that, you know, that more all encompassing experience and really starting to say, Hey, maybe, maybe this is something we're interested in. Maybe this is our, our winter, our winter sport. And, and, and we want to, we want to really dive, dive deep into it. Well, then the next step would be the clubs. Um, and, and working with, again, qualified, experienced coaches and really starting to understand what, what ski racing is like or any of the other disciplines, uh, obviously, for that matter. So, so if you're not quite sure that that's an op- offer to you, like it's open to you, can who tells you? Is there a ski instructor at the ski resort to go, hey, you might be good in the ski club or you might be – are they conversations that come from the ski resorts or are they conversations that come from the parents? <laughs> like in Listen, go- I, I think right now that is the big question. <laughs> and I, I think that that is where that is where we are trying to do better to push that messaging out. Yeah. You know, I, I think it's, it's, it's one thing that I've been thinking about a lot lately is obviously when you're working in the industry, you know, whether it's for snow Australia or, or just as a ski instructor or whatever, all, all of these kind of questions we don't even think about. Cause you just know, yeah. you know, Oh, how do you dress for the snow? Well, what do you mean? It's easy. <laughs> like you just do this, but if, if you're a first timer, never experienced snow, you have all these questions that I would never even think about as questions because you're so used to it. And so it's the same when people ask about, Oh, well, I, di- I didn't even know there were ski clubs or I didn't know how do we find, you know, yeah. I'm so entrenched in it every day that you take for granted that this information is out there. And of course people have access to it and people should know how to find it or, or look. But the yeah. reality is people don't even know the questions to ask, to think about a ski club or, or whatever. And so we are really working with interschools, with the interschools committees, trying to, to get information out to the schools yeah. Because schools have the greatest reach to 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 these children and, and and to their families of saying, you know, you guys do a great job at offering this. But mm-hmm. first and foremost, my assumption is as a school, you're focused on education, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and so <clears throat> if we can start to give them information and get that information about what else exists 
within that athlete sports space for winter sport, then hopefully if there are questions, if people are showing interest beyond what a school is capable of delivering, um, <clears throat> that those schools can then say, hey, well, here's who you contact, you know, either contact Snow Australia or you can contact these clubs directly, Parachute Winter Sports Club or TSRC and, and Mount Buller Race Club, Hotham Race Squad, Falls Creek, whatever one works for you and your family, here's the next step of getting into something more formal, no different than joining a, a swim club, <clears throat> you know, or rugby or netball or, or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. It, the, the system is set up in the same way that these clubs start then to offer, you know, 35 day, 45, 50 day programs that, that really start to focus down on, on building up <clears throat> children in, and, and, and get them more experience, more exposure to the sport and, and more exposure just to, to even, be, you know, athletic development on, on the snow and all. Would you, uh, would you say, is it a matter of the, the, also the numbers aren't there or the quality is not there or is it both? Is it sometimes the wrong type of people? contacting and getting involved in the ski clubs have you seen much of that not knowing anything myself about about that but is it attracting a certain caliber is there a stigma attached with making that phone call is that what you're trying to say kind of emma like yeah just wondering what kind of demographic will it is not is contacting and getting involved versus who needs to be more so <laughs> yeah um listen i don't I don't think there's a right person or a wrong person. Um, As I said, ultimately, really, the child at some point in that that journey is going to make a decision of how hard they want to push and and how hard they want to go. Having said that, and it's not unique to Australia, um, but there's a cost of entry. Skiing in this country is not cheap. Um, Coming down to the snow is 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 not cheap and and obviously as you start to get into race clubs or whatever you know th- th- there definitely is a cost and 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 that definitely can be a block for for certain families and some families mm-hmm. um but you know we see that you know in whistler and you look at the whistler ski club which is a giant ski club and and again it's not it's not um it's not affordable for everyone yeah. Um, so that's that's always a thing in the back of your mind. You know, in my position, you know, you'd love to be able to tell everyone, well, if you put the hard work in, you know, that's enough and the rest can come into play. But obviously, there, there isn't endless financial resources from from our side or, or from the clubs, you know, to to be able to accommodate everybody. Um, but there's definitely to your earlier point too, I would say there's no shortage actually of numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, <clears throat> it's, it's being able to focus, focus those numbers, give them their choices, show them what's out there, what opportunities there are. And, and then I think through that, you know, those that are interested will, will, will take it up. And, and, and for those that just, love that interschools experience and, and want to race for their school and race with their friends, you know, that's awesome. That's, that's the lifeblood of the sport and for the resorts. Hopefully those kids love skiing and go through and have a family of their own and they bring their family to the snow. And I think that 
I think that that needs to be, you know, validated that just participating in sport and having fun with sport is, is, is okay. And and that's a great thing. So on that, like a lot of parents are out there, you know, we're parents ourselves. Our kids, we've got 16 year olds. Emma's got her youngest is what's Billy now? Eight. Eight. Yeah. Yeah. So we kind of went through it, but I didn't choose to do it in schools with my kids because I was like, oh, that's intense. And they just, I just wanted them to have fun, you know, because, <laughs> but, and I've also stood there for a lot while on the side of the in school. But at what age should you kind of put them into that experience? I, they do in schools since, you know, primary, but if they're going to join, if they're going to join a race club, the <laughs> earlier the better, or when they're keen, like for those parents out there listening, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, Yeah, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. I mean, if, if you're to sample and start to look at the people that make it to that very high international level world cup and, and, you know, these top skiers around the world or whatever, when they look and, and start to do studies, obviously the vast majority of these people have started skiing at two, three, four years old. And, you know, They live in countries where winter is longer. Um, yeah. You know, obviously, time on on time on task, being able to ski, um, is is a massive thing. Mm-hmm. Um, however, there's nothing saying if, if 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 your child is athletic and doing lots of other sports um, that they they can't pick it up uh, up later. But you know, I definitely say you know, if you're a family that enjoys the snow and, and there's weekend programs at, at whatever resort you're going and getting kids into weekend programs, you know, even at seven and eight, I, again, we're really trying to push that focus of, of, of building skill in the kids at young ages, Yeah, but in, in a really fun way, you mm-hmm. know, you know, as a ski instructor yourself, you know, like yeah. you, you can make skiing really boring um yes, if you want yes. endless drills and exercises and tasks and you know that's not skiing skiing is about exploring the whole mountain about mastering all conditions and all types of terrain and if if we can develop that at young ages in kids then i'm a big believer that that opens doors as they get into their early teens or whatever that they have the skills they have that great foundation and platform that they can then start to specialize and really hunker down and focus if if that's what they choose to do in a specific discipline and and hopefully have that success but it's 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 got to be fun and it it's got to be engaging and i think a big thing that we do see <clears throat> is a a fear of 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 challenge you know a lot of a lot of a lot of kids sometimes they start to associate challenge almost with the ability to fail as -hmm. opposed to seeing challenge as like a great opportunity to learn. And yes, you won't get everything your first try. Um, But if that, if that system, if that culture within the clubs, within the, the, the ski schools, those weekend programs is, is kind of embracing challenge. That's our, our big thing right now. And what we're doing with this, this level one coach course is, you know, that culture of embracing challenge, the challenge and, 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 and trying, failing, trying again, and, and, you know, ultimately, you know, succeeding at something that's, that's how you learn. That's how you're successful in, in life. 
Um, and it's no different in sport. This, this rush for certain, you know, it's probably more parent driven to be the best, to be the best at division six, at division five, at division four, you know, there, there's such a rush there that mm. they lose a lot of the foundation, the building blocks that they really needed at those ages. And it's just such a, a race to be number one. Mm. Um, and, you know, that's definitely not a, a, a winter sports specific thing, but I think that's where you see a lot of kids kind of get burnt out and, and that pressure gets put on that child also of, of that, that fear of challenge. Cause Ooh, I'm maybe I, Ooh, I don't want to push too hard. Cause if I, if I fail, you know, I won't be number one. Mm. So kind of play it safe a little bit. Um, you know, and, and we've looked a lot at, at studies, even in, 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 in education in, in kind of scholastic endeavors where they, they say that, kids who are praised for the outcome or, or you're the smartest or you, you get the best marks or whatever, when given choices, a lot of the times they'll, they'll choose the easier option because mm-hmm. it's a more guarantee of success where a lot of kids where, where the praise comes more for the effort yeah. and not yeah. the outcome, they'll yeah. actually look to take on harder challenges be, be, because they're praised for the effort. Um, <laughs> and I, I think that's, a really big thing that again we try to instill in our, our coaches and our clubs of like yeah it's it's not easy but w- it can be a fun journey along the way to kind of figure out these little puzzles and get better at skiing and challenge yourself you know and as i said become that master of the mountain it's yeah. um it's interesting the last decade just as a parent watching observing my own kids come through the educational process because there's been some good things and some bad um something that comes to mind is recently that whole growth mindset which is all about which I think is really good that whole thing of I haven't mastered that yet which is a positive but on the negative side um been quite a shock to our generation of parents to see all the kids who everybody gets a medal (laughs) <laughs> and I just, I've never, I've never really liked that. I get that it's about rewarding participation, but it's also, I, I would like my children to miss out as well, you know? And so it's, it's hard striking that balance. Absolutely. A hundred percent. And, and, and it's the same with, you know, and I'm, I'm sure in, in team sports and the big sport, you know, rugby and all of these, you know, there's only so many people that can make it on the, the A team and then there's the B or C and, and, and in skiing, you know, we used to have, we had a, a children's team that was named and that was under 12s and under 14s and under 16s on these teams. And it became such a race again, to get on that team, to get the jacket as, as we always say, yeah. you know, and again, we, we, we actually found it was very disruptive in actually athletic development and, and the development of these children as great skiers because it was more just about what do I need to do just to get to here, you know, not longer term. We ripped that bandaid off maybe five or six years ago and we completely got rid of it. Yeah. I really, um, and, and, and obviously it was not well received, um, at the beginning, but it was, it was focusing on saying, you know, we, we can't be identifying 11 year olds as this one has talent. This one doesn't. And what does it mean to these ones that we aren't there? Like you should n- not do the sport anymore because sorry, you haven't been selected. And 
you know, in Alpine skiing at, at that Olympic level, at that World Cup level internationally, we're talking about people that are in their mid-20s, late 20s, early 30s. Mm. You know, the journey is very, very long. And to start to pretend at 11 or 12 that we can really identify someone um, or, or, or on the flip side, really identify someone, you, you know, you, you don't have it, you know, it, it's, it's a lot better to just say, hey, like, you, you got to put the effort in and put the work in and keep working and wanting to become a better skier. And who knows what it'll look like at 17, at 19, 21, 20, you know, yeah. how long you stay in and, and, and you keep pushing it because it is, it's a, it's a, it's a journey. It's definitely not a, a sprint that yeah that finishes at a young age especially in alpine it is a, a, a very old sport and and you look at you know sammy kennedy sim who i work with on on the ski cross side at the olympic winter institute you know you know she's she's in her young 30s right now you know and and about to go to her third game so and i guarantee at 15 and 16 or at 10 you know lots of kids it's you know oh i'd love to go to the olympics i I kind of put it just as a a dream a fantasy kind of goal it's Mm -hmm. not really tangible at at those ages of of what that means or whatever and as you get older and older you start to things become a bit clearer but i I don't think most kids really can say at 13 oh i absolutely knew i wanted that and 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 i understood what it was and the work and effort and you know hurdles that i'd encounter through it so you know it always comes back to me that if if we can engage with these kids and we make it fun and 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 they're learning um and they're they're accepting of challenge well hopefully we get more of them further along that journey and Mm -hmm. then we'll have our, our 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 few so going along, do you call it FTEM, is it? The Foundation Talent Elite Master- and Mastery. Yeah. FTEM? Yeah. FTEM. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So going along that, so you've got all the inner schools and it kind of finishes in year 12. And mm-hmm. I'm sure from that you've got the talent. So how do you move the talent to the elite of that framework? Yeah. And so this is a, a, a very good thing. Any of these models um, you, you know, we used to use something called the LTAD, which was long-term athletic de- de- development model, which, which was, you know, designed in Canada. FTEM now has actually been designed by, by the AIS. Mm-hmm. Um, it's great. It's this great framework of, 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 you know, an athlete's progression through their, their sporting life. Um, however, like anything, it's very open to interpretation. Um, and, Interschools, because because the whole FTEM is not age prescriptive. It, it's it's not each step is not like well you're ten to twelve mm-hmm. here and you're fifteen here. It, it can be anything. Mm-hmm. Um, interschools really sits up and into that F three, so it's really foundational. Okay. Y- you know, and 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 then it it continues to branch forever through your life in that participation that sport for life concept or whatever because for some kids that is their journey they want to do interschools maybe they go to university they do uni games and things like this and 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 they then maybe go on like i did and become a ski instructor Mm. you know and and that's their journey The, the 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 talent through mastery the performance pathway as it's called 
tends to be, I always say it's, it's the, it's the sexy thing. It's what everyone wants to talk about. You know, it's your Sammy's, your Matt Graham's and Brittany Cock and, you know, Scotty James, like, wow, these athletes that we see that are out competing on the world stage. However, I've always said, if you, if you look at FTEM as, you know, graphically that, that performance pathway is really, really skinny. Mm-hmm. You, you know, that that's really for a, a quite a select few. And, and when we talk about talent um, as the T in FTEM, we're really starting to talk about athletes that are showing talent for their, for their, their position or kind of their age where they sit within and their international cohort. Mm-hmm. So we're starting to look at it in an international sense, because when we talk about performance, when, and when the AIS of Sport Australia, when we start using the word performance, we're really talking about performance on an international stage. And when they're talking about results at the very top, they're talking about world championships, Olympic games, and you know maybe Commonwealth games in, in, in summer sports or whatever. But it really is that pointy, pointy end of... And, and it's easy for parents sometimes to get confused because they'll say, oh, but my child has talent or per- yeah. they are performing at interschools and, and they're 100% correct. Yes, they are. Mm-hmm. But in the context of, of sport nationally and how sport is funded in this country and many others, you know, talent and then into that elite and mastery really is starting to identify athletes that we believe have the talent to compete at international events and move through. And once we start hitting the ease, that's that that's top level sport. Yeah. So that's I just want to ask a question about that that process where it seems to be like a bit of a, you know, like a, a you put the meat in and you know out comes the sausage sort of thing. But so if you're thinking like into schools and then the clubs and then they're competing and then there's sort of some talent identification to become the elite the small uh percentage that you're talking about i mean would you say that little gap there is just a heck uh, a heck of a lot of work you know and, and somewhere in there is talent identification um at some point the parents have to butt out at the end of the intersports the beginning of the elite process the parents are butting out at that point yeah, I, I mean, I, I think it's important to to say, like I said, like interschools really sits that F3 and, and probably F2 when you talk about some kids coming in that first Div 6 experience or whatever. And then the clubs, if you you are starting to think that this is, is something that you want to take seriously and you're getting involved in, in a structured club, those, those clubs sit at F3 mm-hmm. and, and those clubs start to reach into the bottom of the performance pathway into that T1. T2 space, you know, managing kids and and really starting to holistically develop and educate kids of what it means to be an athlete Mm -hmm. and go. And then the hope is if if you start to have kids that that are in the the middle of the T's, you know, there are programs and national structures that start to come into play and and support and servicing that wraps around athletes that are, are really identified. And we start to have you know, individual performance plans for those athletes, you know, where, where do they need to go? Parents, do they need to butt out? I mean, 
I don't think a parent ever should be butting out, but what a parent should be doing is understanding that their greatest role in all of this is being a parent, is supporting their child, their young adult, their adult, and, and being parents and, and encouraging them to work hard, encouraging them to take on challenge and, you know, all of those things. And relying on the professional opinion. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Wherever they are. Yeah. My, my guess is that while I, you know, I'm, I'm still Canadian enough, I don't, I don't follow, you know, rugby to a T. My, my guess is when players get selected to the Wallabies um, to represent Australia, that mum and dad probably aren't showing up at practices and, and telling the coaches what they think should, should be happening. Um, I, I, you know, I think, I think we'd agree that, that, you know, the, the, those coaches are left to do their job for better or, or for worse, but you know, it's the same thing. It's, it's trust, trust in the coaches and, and understand that ultimately, as I always say, it will come down to the athlete. It will come down to how bad does that child want it? How, how much work yeah. do you want to, to put into it? Cause ultimately we are talking about once we get international, we're talking about being better than everyone else in the world in that that chosen discipline and, and sport. And whether it's summer, winter, it doesn't matter. It gets really hard. And you have to understand that talent only goes so far. Because once you get to those levels, everybody there has talent. Mm. Everyone, you know, natural talent or well, just a unbelievable you know athletic ability or whatever everyone has that Mm. so what starts to separate you is is work ethic is is using your brain and using your body and 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 becoming better than everybody else and that's a a thing you know I heard someone say I think we were at at 2012 at the youth olympics in Innsbruck and, and and someone came in to speak um and they talked about looking at everyone in the room that was there at the, at the youth Olympics. And, and there we're talking about 15, 16 year olds, probably maybe 17. Um, and l- looking left and right at the other athletes there and understanding, you know, you need to want to be better than the person on your left or the person on your right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that term, you know, extraordinary and, and, and breaking that down to being extraordinary. And if you're just ordinary, that's fine. Um, but to be that Olympian, to stand on that podium, you need to be extraordinary because because that is you know quite a lofty position in, in 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 a sport. And what does that what does that mean? What does that look like? And what does that take? And if you're just doing the same as everybody else beside you, mm-hmm. you're probably not going to be able to separate yourself. At that point, when you're you're at that level. And you know that everybody in this room here is absolutely talented and you've got to be better. What does that look like to you? Oh, look, I, I think we, we talk a lot about it in, in, in terms of intangibles. You know, obviously there's, there's technical skills that you need to have. There's a, a physical capacity that, that you need to have for your sport or whatever. But those intangibles are what drives people, um, you know, commitment and work ethic, you know, time management, all of these type of things. And, and a- another big one that we hear sometimes from the best athletes at the best sports is, is this concept of selfishness. 
And I, I think a lot of the times from athletes not at the top level, selfishness is kind of like an excuse to, you know, be a bit of a bad person or be, just be demanding and like, you know, hard to deal with. And, and they're like, yeah, but look at me, I'm being selfish. That's what good athletes do. But selfishness to me is like, is being selfish to yourself, like demanding the most out of yourself. And that might mean, hey, I didn't go to my best friend's birthday on Friday night because I have training at 6 a.m. On, on Saturday morning, you know, and it's being selfish within yourself of having this drive that you understand that a lot of other people around you don't mm. and, and, and having to kind of carve out time and, and maybe not do a lot of things that everybody else is doing because no, this is, this is, this is what I've chosen as my path. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm committed to it. And, and, and I may have to miss out on some, some other things, but, you know, I think that those are, those are all choices. That, think, that, 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 that's what it is. Yeah. Selfish is like you said, if you, I think selfish when you're younger is bratty. <laughs> it's not, <laughs> it's just being a brat. <laughs> so I think, yeah, that's a really good explanation of uh, up the, up the chain. I really, yeah, I like it. I like it a lot. It's, um, I, I listened to Alyssa Camplin, Alisa Camplin the other day, um, just in the women, mm -hmm. the mm -hmm. women winter program. That's yeah, the women's there. leadership thing. Yeah. Women's leadership. Yeah. Yeah. And she was really interesting. She, yeah, she said a lot when she did her knee and she had to go back out and do the Olympics and she got a bronze. Like they said, what was her, what was her, most best achievement she said when I won my bronze because I had to come through this injury you know and I had to in my own mind I had to be this the top person in my game in my own head because my body had kind of given out out you know so it was all in her brain which is I think a big thing in you know elite athletes mastering your own skills I would imagine yeah and and, and understanding yourself and and your your process and listening to your 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 body and exactly all of those things that you know, they're not that glamorous they're not that big you know uh, Alyssa is a perfect example and so many other you know for a lot of us on the outside you see you know them stand on that podium and wow that looks so awesome in this Hollywood moment or if you will their life must be so glamorous and all of this but you don't see all of those setbacks and all of the hard work that goes into it. And, and like you said, like knowing yourself at such a level and, and holding yourself to such a count, you know, and going to bed at 8 PM because mm -hmm. you are tired and run down, but you know, you've got to get up and perform tomorrow or train the next day or whatever. And it's, it's, it's hard, you know, it's easy to just Netflix out until 1am, but if your performance is going to suffer the next day at training or whatever, well, you know, maybe that wasn't the best decision. And, and those are the things I think that people, people overlook that, you know, yeah. these, these, these people that get to the very top, it's a, it's a sometimes quite a, a boring existence in some ways, um, you know, how regimented they, 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 they keep their lives. Yeah, I would imagine. I, we did interview Matt Graham the other day and we're like, do you ever just go to the side and ski some powder? And he's like, oh, that's for the future. <laughs> that's what I'll do after. Yeah, yeah, 100%. <laughs> you know, it was like, oh, yeah, I get that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's pretty amazing. Like, I think our winter athletes need more, you know, media. <laughs> we only get it around the winter games, which is so unfortunate. It, 
but that's you know so so like going back to the kids again um do you think it's worthwhile that they either move to Jindabyne full-time and go to Skeggs down there or another school Jindabyne um, public whatever in the area or start off with going overseas on a program overseas um like a to get better at skiing obviously program what what would you what's the biggest pathway for the kids if they're showing talent <clears throat> if they're winning if yeah. they're top 10 in a school top five in a schools look I, I, again yeah i, I guess the, the biggest thing is yeah if, if if they're interested in taking it further seeing where they can go with this and they want to go then you know maximizing time on snow as i said you know is important um you know, it, it really comes down to individual families, I think, and individual needs. Yeah. You know, obviously, it's easy just to say, yeah, everybody move to Jindabyne and this is great. Or send your kid, you know, to school overseas and you never see them again or, or whatever. Now, for some for some people, for some families, that, that's an option um, mm-hmm. and it works. But I, I think it's very specific to each family. You know, if you have young kids you're a family that loves to ski and you go overseas, you know, even just for family ski vacations, you know, I think that that, that, that's great and, and get them skiing, put them into, you know, uh, depending on their age, what you're looking for into ski school programs, you know, a lot of the race clubs at, at, at Hills in North America offer, you know, visiting athlete programs where if you're over there for, for a month or, or whatever, you can, put the child in, um, and, and get that experience, you know, obviously there is a point as they get older and, and let's say into their, to their young teens. Um, if you're really serious about it, then you're going to have to start looking at, at spending some time in the Northern winters, you know, maybe at first, just during those school holiday periods of, you know, six weeks or something like that. Um, Mm -hmm. And then it will eventually grow. And as you're, you're getting, you know, 15, 16, 17, you know, most people are starting to spend multiple months or whatever, or taking that term and doing remote learning. And, and they're based in, in North America or Europe um, to maximize that, that on, on snow time. Yeah. Well, it's really, I think our um, Olympians are in great hands with you, Sean. It's been quite amazing having a chat to you and working out how passionate you are down to the base level, which is really amazing. <laughs> um, so we, we'll kind of, I guess, end up here, but we normally ask a question, but I've got just one question before I go because you're a racer. What's your favourite um, run in Australia to set gates on? Obviously, I've spent a lot of time working at Parisher, so I, I would say that I, I, I'm, you know, probably most accustomed to that. I mean, it, all things considered, great snow, perfect snow. You know, I really like Hyper Trail over on Mount P. Um, yeah. For some training, obviously, the Ridge Accelerator um, is unbelievable with 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 its length when we when we get the good snow, it's hard to train there because really you get an hour, hour and a half early morning before the, the public um, uh, come on it. Um, but there's a lot, World Cup besides Super Trail at Threadbow, um, Scott's T-Bar at Falls Creek, Snake Gully, um, over <laughs> at Hotham, you know, 
they're, they're all really good. I mean, it's, it's just always, you know, snow conditions. And, and then again, typically the runs that we love the most um, to set and to ski on are the runs the public also love the most to <laughs> ski on. <laughs> yeah, it's, all, it's every ski resort in the world, isn't it? Like you rock up yeah. and you, oh my gosh, they've set gates on that today. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And we, 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 we hear that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What is your favourite ski resort to ski on in Australia and overseas? I don't know if I have a favourite ski resort in Australia. I, I mean, they all vary so much. For so long, I only was at Parisher. I was only working there. I mean, I, I love it, but it's like Whistler for me. You, you know it so well and so intimately, every rock and what's over every roll. Um, it's, it's all good. I've had a couple really great days at Hotham skiing in those back bowls um, when we actually had like powder. Um, and I was pretty blown away at just like that off piece terrain and how big it is at, at Hotham, um, you know, is, 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 is a really, really good experience. But, you know, I think I'll, I'll always say Perisher because I always, I always go to what I, I know best. It's no different. I've spent <laughs> decades at Whistler Blackcomb and I'll always tell you that Whistler is, is better than Blackcomb. Although <laughs> I, I go against my own advice a lot on that one, but, but, you know, Whistler is where I started. So it's where I, uh, yeah, where I sounds like an awesome job, doesn't it? Yeah. Thank you so much for today. No worries. Thank you guys for having me. Thanks for listening to loving the snow life with Emma and Tennille. If you've learned a handy tip or two, then happy days. To catch all our episodes, subscribe on iTunes. It's free. Head over to www.lovingthesnowlife.com.au for more info and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Loving the Snow Life. If you have any suggestions for topics or guests, then email us on our website. Thanks to everyone who leaves a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts feel free to share our episodes on your social media.